liftoff. Nick, welcome back. Hey, Anastasia. Merry Tennismas to you. Merry Tennismas. I love your sweater. Can we see the whole thing? Uh, sure. There we go. Oh, <laughs> so good. It actually has a nose. Tennismas would probably be when the new season starts, which is in like two weeks. In two weeks. Can you imagine? I feel, I think it's actually, when does United Cup start? United Cup starts I think it's the, the 28th of December. No, it can't be. 29th. United Cup starts on the, or is it the Sunday? Either way, it's the last few days of December. The, yeah, last few days of December. So you're looking at 19 to 20 days from when we're recording this is the beginning of the 2024 season, but we are getting way ahead of ourselves. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Ground Pass. How has your off-season been? It's just been two weeks. Um, It's been quiet. Like, my life is so much less busy. Now I don't have to try and keep up with all the tennis. I mean, I don't have to keep up with all the tennis, but I don't have this uh, wonder of what on earth is going on Um kind of hanging over me which to be honest I'm not going to say is a bad thing I think even us tennis fans need a little bit of a break um you know like yes. sometimes you know if you uh, if you if even if you if you like spending a lot of time with someone occasionally you just need a little bit of a break for a day or two um so absence does make the heart go fond yes so I'm very excited for the United Cup but I'm not necessarily hoping it starts tomorrow Exactly. Same. I think after the next gen finals, I was really ready to take a break from tennis. As much as I enjoy tennis and I love watching it, I was ready for a little bit of a breather. Um, And that's where we're going to start. We're going to start a little bit differently this time, but just a quick roundup of the next gen finals, which was in um, Saudi Arabia this year. What city Jeddah. was it in? Jeddah. It was in Jeddah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, it was a it was a fine tournament. I love Next Gen. I love following you know new young players and um, seeing how they do where they go. I'm always looking for who's up and coming and who's next, basically. Um, and I think it was really great. It was there was a little bit of a twist though, because this year I think with the field of players, I think everyone sort of went into the tournament thinking Frenchman Arthur Fees had it in the bag and he was gonna win and it was gonna be great. And it wasn't. Who won, Nick? Who won? A Serbian player called Hamad Medjedovic, who I surprise have surprise. never seen play before. Same. I had never seen a match of his other than at Next Gen. I knew of him because there was an article that came out a while ago about him. And I think it was on tennis.com. And it was all about how he was being supported by Novak Djokovic. And Novak Djokovic was paying for whatever he needed, basically, in order to play tennis. And it's so funny now to see that come full circle and he has won the next gen finals which this year well I was gonna say this year Novak won the finals so it's like two Serbians win the end of year tournaments on the ATP side they're probably still disappointed they didn't get the Davis Cup and make a clean sweep of all three oh you had to rub it in Nick (laughs) I did but I'm not surprised that Djokovic is supporting Medjadjevic because 
Look, Djokovic is planning on being around for another few years. Um, that's very clear. Um, he says, who knows, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, we're, we're talking about Djokovic's shock retirement. I highly doubt that. Um, I don't but think so. No, that's, he's, too, he's too determined. He's got too much left to still win. Um, but, um, you know, he the, the Serbian tennis is going to want someone to come after Djokovic. We've seen plenty of times in the past where um, they've had a big star and then no, a country's had a big star and no one's really followed up. Um, prime example, Switzerland. I mean, they've got Dominic Stripper, Stricker coming through. Um, but he's still so new, yeah. He's still so new. and um, Or if you uh, think maybe a bit further back, I mean, um, Germany, up until Zverev came along, maybe they had Tommy Haas, but like after sort of Boris Becker retired and Michael Stick um, in the 90s, the 2000s were pretty barren for Germany other than Tommy Haas occasionally popping up. So, yeah. um, you know, Zverev is here now. But, yeah, it's it's. Um, I think for the Serbians, they're going to want to remain a relevant tennis nation after Djokovic eventually stops, which even Novak Djokovic will one day stop playing tennis. Um, but I'm not rushing to that day. And it is nice that he's trying to leave a legacy behind by supporting young Serbian players and hopefully they can sort of carry his legacy on. So it's really great. But yeah, that was Next Gen. And now we are officially in the tennis off season. We've been in the tennis off season for the last two weeks. Um, and you might be asking, what's the off season? What does that mean? Nick, how would you describe tennis off season? I would describe it as the players are having time off away from professional tournaments where they have to perform for money, for ranking, um, for uh, visibility. um, And they can, you know, anything they sign up to is not obligatory. They can choose to have some time off playing, maybe just stay on the practice court to keep sharp enough. But other than that, take away from the intensity of traveling. Um, They can take some opportunity to make some extra money through endorsements or through playing exhibitions. Um, But this is a when the two main tours take a break from uh, sort of take a break and like don't have any tournaments being put on the lower levels like ITFs. I think they're still they kind of carry on well into December, but um, unless you are a, a tennis scout, you're not necessarily going to be paying attention to those, um, right. uh, especially since most of them aren't even like available to watch. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, different tennis players have different ways of treating the offseason. You know, we've seen kind of a run of the gamut of, you know, some people just spend it training. You know, a lot of players head over to Dubai or war- or anywhere warm, really, that isn't affected by cold weather um, to start preparing for the beginning of the season, which usually starts in Australia. So a lot of players tend to move over into that hemisphere and that time zone and they're training. Some people stay at home. Like I've seen Coco Goff and Ben Shelton, they're at home training. And it seems like they're doing a lot of sort of athletic building. Um, I've seen other players like Tommy Paul and Carlos Alcaraz who are playing a couple of exhibitions here and there. Um, 
So yeah, different players have different ways of treating the offseason. It's a very short time. You know, like we were talking about in the beginning, the United Cup, which is the beginning of the season, actually starts this year at the end of December. Yeah. I mean, this is actually a good question for maybe some uh, because I don't follow many other sports as closely as tennis. Um, like I have some familiarity with, uh, obviously, I've mentioned Formula One a lot on these podcasts. I'm a big Formula One fan. Um, obviously, being British, I am very much in tune with the uh, football, soccer season, the Premier League, um, uh, and sort of the, the football calendar, uh, because that's all over the news. Um I have a little bit of an understanding of cricket um, and sort of their calendar. But um, I would say in comparison to those sports, with the exception of football, if there isn't an international tournament, tennis has a very short period where it's not on. Um, And I was going to ask you, Anastasia, so could I understand and maybe... Uh, this is a context that maybe our American listeners could relate to. What's an off-season like in other sports like NFL, NBA, baseball, um, hockey? Um, you know, what's uh, how long are their breaks typically? I, I like you, I, you know, I follow them very loosely. I don't really follow their calendar and what they're doing. But what I can say, it is much longer than tennis. We're talking months of an offseason, you know, kind of in, in the NFL after the Super Bowl, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't know exactly how long, I don't want to say off the top of my head, but it's pretty much months before they have to go back to training camp and then their season starts. So I would have to say tennis has one of the shortest off seasons in terms of when there's required play involved and especially with tennis where you know especially in the in the states when when you know teams travel to play but they're usually traveling in a very contained area you know they're eastern and western conferences and they play in their own sections and then they meet tennis players are all over the world for almost 365 days of the year. So it, it seems like a very rigorous season. And to think that they only have four months off, I know there's discussion of should the off season be longer or, you know, should tennis stop sooner in the year? And at the same time, you do see other players who choose to just keep playing. I remember the year, um, it was last year, I think, during the off season where Rafa Nadal and Casper Ruud went on kind of an exhibition tour during the off season that they literally didn't stop playing tennis. They just kept playing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the solution is. Like, tennis just seems to be an, an all-year-round sport. Like you were saying earlier, ITF events are still happening right now because I think some players want to improve their chances of possibly making it into the Australian Open. So they're playing for points and things like that. So it just And also the players lower the players lower down the rankings have much more need to play because they need to make a living. Um True. probably something we're gonna to have to talk about at some point is uh money in tennis and you know how very top heavy it is in terms of actually being able to live as a pro um maybe that's a discussion for another episode maybe get a player on but um 
I would say it's interesting with the length of the off season, as you say, because tennis has always been, and the, and this is always the discussion between fans and the sort of observing tennis players is tennis players like every human being need time off. They need a rest. They need to be able to do that. They need to recover, especially since they're athletes. Too much activity and they get injured. Um, it's yeah. inevitable. Having exactly. said that, one of the things that I've noticed as a fan following the sport for well over a decade now um, is uh, momentum is a critical part of that sport, of the sport. And actually being on form and having some good results week on week on week on week is actually beneficial. And a lot of players are going to be like, but I want to feel good. I want to feel competitive. You know, that's that's how they gain confidence. If you take a player like Jessica Kagula, who doesn't stop, like she plays everything she possibly can because and Singles it works. And She's world number five, multiple titles. Um, in in singles anyway, two two masters, one thousand titles. She, uh, you know, she's like that. Um, versus someone like, um, I'm trying Serena Williams, who could hit the ground running at any tournament, even if she'd had a long break. Um, although maybe a year off after injury towards the end was probably a little much. The right. Um, so it, it's about, I think that's the sacrifice you've got to go. You don't want to make the off season too long because it kills the momentum of players and they're not going to like that. At the same time, you can't have it too short because then there's no recovery time, which players also need. If in many ways, almost the better way of doing it is to try and spread the calendar out a bit more. Um, in many ways, um, maybe don't have an off season, but have a longer gap between big tournaments. I was having a look at, uh, the tennis calendar for 2024 and putting everything in my diary so I could schedule stuff around slams and 1000s. That's going to be a lot of tennis weeks in 2024, by the way. It's packed. And, but it's packed. From, from the start of the clay season to Wimbledon, which is a two-month period, probably even three, uh, more like three, um, like that's nonstop more or less um yeah so it's things that the sport's got to look at but um i think that's kind of the balance i i think there would be players who wouldn't want too short too long an off season actually um but obviously it's about that balance and every athlete knows what's right for their body um right unfortunately it's not uniform no it's totally not uniform i i i get that i run and i when I take huge breaks from running, it's almost like starting all over again. You know, it's something you have to sort of just have a muscle memory for. And each time you stop for an extended period of time, you have to build up to the speed that you had before. So I totally get that feeling of an athlete where if you take too long of a break, it might be detrimental. So yeah, it's a balance. I think each individual player has to kind of make for themselves but also you're right. I mean, considering next year is going to be an Olympic year, I think the sport also has to um, look into the calendar and how it can sort of streamline things and, and maybe make things a little bit more conducive to healthy play. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it probably, I don't think athletes, the tennis players would object to a two weeks on two weeks off schedule. Right. My my tennis watching would not um, sort of disagree with that. <laughs> I would lo- sometimes <laughs> I would love a break in between the season. I'm like I've watched way too much tennis. I would love a break, but um, yeah. So that's the off season. That's what's happening right now. 
right. It's been a great season. Um, yeah. 2023, I think, has been a really great season. And I think we should do a little bit of a roundup of what that season has been, what it's meant to us, what we what we loved, what we didn't like, and also what we're expecting for the future. So starting real quick, in general, what's your quick review for you of the 2023 season? So this is actually really hard to do because much as we like as tennis fans to put a neat neat narrative on a season most seasons that's not the case like if you have a dominant player like on the men's tour it was all about Novak Djokovic this year with it was about Djokovic versus Alcaraz with Medvedev and Sinner reminding us that they were here too um the women's tour a little bit more complicated than that but even when you break down that sort of more quote simple uh, message really that Djokovic versus Alcaraz rivalry went kind of appeared and disappeared throughout the year um yeah. and kind of the, the, like that momentum I was talking about it shifted through different quarters of the year um I have written I've been writing a 2023 tennis diary um to potentially po- post in and see if I can get it published somewhere um and the uh, peaks and, tro- and sort of the, the the shifts in stories throughout the mm-hmm. season um, make it very uh, like are very visible when you read it through in one go. And I think it's very hard then to say this is the story of the 2023 season. It's a bit like trying to summarize um, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which is uh, <laughs> it's like well you could talk about it as there's a magic ring and they go on a, and they have to go on a quest to get rid of it. Spoilers. If you haven't seen it, by the way, <laughs> I don't know how, um, but then you can't, but then you've got to go into, well, um, that, yeah, there's this, well, yeah, there's a bit in this place and then they go to this place and then they have to go to this place and this thing happens. And then it all comes to a crazy conclusion in this place. Um, and uh, the sort of the story beats and the focuses shift um yeah. that other films novels are available but um uh, that, that do similar things and, and to me 2023 is like that so unhelpfully i don't want to give you a super long answer like that because i then just literally tell everyone what happened every single month of the 2023 season only nick would compare the 2023 season to lord of the rings by the way that would just only only you would do that but anyway <laughs> I I want to think about it a little bit more how I perceived the season because I think coming into the 2023 season Roger Federer had just retired and it was a little bit at least for me it was a little bit of doom and gloom for someone who follows the ATP tour. I just thought what's going to happen, you know? And the beginning of the 2023 season did not help that Rafa Nadal got injured and it just seemed quite disastrous. Like, no Roger, no Rafa. What are we going to do in 2023? You know? Um, And I was very encouraged that all the young players and players who had been around for a bit, Zverev, Medvedev, Taylor Fritz even sort of popped up, you know, 
throughout the season, we had like little moments for all these players. I remember when, like during the um, U.S. Open swing, it was all about Tommy Paul and, you know, Tommy Paul's now new kind of rivalry against Alcaraz and how, how their matches would go. You had the end of the season, Sinner pop up and, you know, everyone's now excited to see how he does in 2024, Novak Djokovic kind of, you know, he he kind of spanned the whole season. And even though he couldn't come to America, the top part of the season, so we didn't see him in Indian Wells or Miami, he was there at the end and sort of, you know, dominated the the mat the the tournaments that he played. So I just think it kind of gave me hope because, again, at the beginning of the season, I just thought, well, what's tennis? You know, <laughs> I had lost Serena Williams on the women's side. You know, Roger's gone. Rafa's gone. And and you think, is there still tennis to be enjoyed? And I was very pleasantly surprised that there was so much more tennis to be enjoyed. And the joy of discovering new players, I think, was the most important part of my 2023 season is all the new players I got to sort of latch on to and enjoy. And I have to say as someone who before this year, I would say I watched 75% ATP matches. I have, I am slowly increasing WTA matches into my, my repertoire. And I mean, by the end of the season, it was almost 50-50, which is so great because there were just so many players on the women's side as well that just caught my attention and, and made it more exciting for me, even though people like Serena is gone now. Svitolina came back and, you know, you you had um, Mira Andreva, who's just super exciting and, you know, seeing Leila Fernandez, like, reinvigorate herself from kind of the the poor year she had in 2022. So it was, it, it was very exciting all around to, to be reminded that tennis is still here and it's still super exciting and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've kind of dodged the question a little bit. Yeah. For I tennis 2023 has been super exciting and fun. And I'm so proud of you on a for increasing your WTA percentage, because for me, it has been all about, actually the WTA providing us with really great tennis throughout the year and for giving us some brilliant rivalries. Like um, people are, the year has definitely been about people, the rest of the pack or at least certain members of the pack actually stepping up to challenge Iga Svantec. Um and you know, people she was regularly beating, getting wins over her now um and so basically now grand slams are a lot more competitive than they were maybe not necessarily the french open but um the i I think that's been the the 2023 what's been about for 2023 and then seeing how Iga Svantec has responded to that um yeah Uh, and i'm not just framing that because of my allegiances (laughs) but that's what everyone else has been talking about really that's what everyone else has been talking about. Um, True, you're right. Um, re- let's be honest. Um, uh, look, I would not be saying the same thing if I was talking about Leila Fernandez. She was one of the talking points towards the end of the season. But if you're a Leila Fernandez fan, then most of the conversation would be, why did she keep running into Caroline Garcia in the early so, rounds yeah. of tournaments and having these insane battles with her? <laughs> Who's rigging the draw? <laughs> like, honestly... 
I, I kid you not, like I think they had about three or four absolutely epic battles that got forgotten about quickly because they were early on in the tournaments, but actually they were just really, really good tennis. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's just a, that's just a side point. Um, just to say as well, if you, and we're going to come on to this topic for ourselves at the minute, but um, those who are interested, um, if you remember, we had John Silk on our last episode and actually he's doing a series on talking tennis, going through the matches of the season. Um, like all of the ones that like caught the attention on the men's and the women's side. Um, and actually as a new fan that uh, who maybe is trying to catch up with what happened in 2023 and the narratives that built from that, that series that's going to be coming out during December is going to be worth a watch and keeping an eye on uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed of anything. Exactly. I'm going to put a link into uh, the Talking Tennis YouTube channel where you can follow that series. And it'll be really fun because, again, as a new fan, you might be thinking, well, who do I follow in the new season? And that can give you an idea of who who was you know, happening in 2023 and who you might want to follow. But based off of that, though, what was your match of the year, Nick? You can only pick one. You can only yeah, I pick know. one. Don't worry. <laughs> I only have one. Oh, really? Oh, I had to pick from three, but what's yours? Yeah. Okay. So mine, I know for a fact, um, a lot of people would kind of disagree with me on this. So if you were to ask most WTA fans, they would say match of the year was the Australian Open final between Sabalenka and Rabakina. And um, uh, just because of the kind of style of tennis on display and how close it went, um, and uh, maybe some American fans might say the US Open final and that dramatic Coco Goff turnaround against Doreen yeah. Sabalenka. I am going to go, for me personally, the most thrilling tennis match of the year was the Madrid final between Iga Svantec and Arena Sabalenka. And I know I've seen Anastasia's expression because he's like, that's a left field choice because yeah. obviously it's our grand slam. But also Iga lost that match. Um, yeah. which, yeah. and you're like, call yourself a fan. Um, listen, I'm a Roger fan. I would still call the 2008 Wimbledon final, the match of that season, the 2019 Wimbledon final, the match of that season. And those were two of Roger's most painful losses. Um, I don't think this was a painful loss for Iga. The reason why I went for the Madrid final is both players were really, really good. I didn't have anything in there that I didn't, I don't remember seeing anything that I was like really stupid mistakes. The momentum shifts throughout the match was like arena started really well. Then eager came back at her. Then arena uh, came back at eager who seemed to get in front. And then it was just back, like shifting throughout the entire thing, all three sets. Cause it went three sets um, it was on clay, but it was fast clay, which basically neutralized both of their, meant they could both use their strengths. Sabalenka's power meant the altitude helped her, but it was kind of still the clay helped eager with the movement and the, um, and the ability to use it to kind of use that top spin that she has. Um, uh, don't worry. I, I will probably explain those terms another time, but at the end of the day, what happened was it was basically down to who peaked at the final moment of the match and it happened to be Sabalenka. Um, but the momentum shifts were not caused by one player having a dip. It was caused by a player raising their game and taking it to their opponent and getting better. Um, and fair play to Sabalenka. She won that battle. Um, uh, I think Iga got her next time, but 
um in uh in um in Cancun but yeah yeah that for me was the match of the match. year um and I can't I can't think of anything else like that uh, in terms of what it was in terms of how it kind of went right that is so funny you pick that one because my match of the year is quite similar now the three choices I had all involved Carlos Alcaraz because you oh what a you surprise like the what a surprise. My favorite one of my favorite players is 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 involved in my match of the year. Huh, who who would have thought? But um he's had quite some matches this year. And I think also it it it's because of his style of play. Um he just tends to have these epics. And you know, one of the ones that matches that I considered was the Sinner Alcaraz match in Miami. That was just, that was, that was excellent. One of the points of the year. I love, love, love that match. The next one was the Wimbledon final against Novak because that just came out of nowhere. It it had so many valleys and peaks because after that first set, you just thought, well, you know, Alcaraz is going to lose this one. And then it's a five set epic. But the match that I picked was the Cincinnati final that Alcaraz lost to Novak Djokovic. I that match was one of the most crushing, soul crushing in, in the sense that you had a player that you really like and you're just like you want them to succeed and they're so close like after Alcaraz won that first set, he was leading the second set. Djokovic looked like he was about to pass out and you're thinking, great, this is so great for Alcaraz. And then to watch him lose that second set, Novak just come, I mean, he crawled his way to win that tie break in the second set. And that third set was one of the, I mean, it was the best tennis I've watched in years. It was so competitive fighting to the end, both players just giving every inch of themselves to this match. And Novak comes out the end, um, the winner. And I, I think a lot of learning and a lot of growth is achieved through failure. And I, I really thought that that loss for Alcaraz would probably do him a lot of good in the end, you know, um, it's funny cause he was crying just before the, um, the trophy ceremony and in his press conference, he was like, I don't know why I was crying because I gave my all. And I was like, well, it was one of the first times that I felt like Alcaraz really cared, you know, he tends to be this such happy, jolly, he just loves to hit a ball with a tennis racket, you know, so, sort of like a, a, he didn't have a care in the world kind of player. And I think that was the first time I ever was sort of like, oh, Matt, he really cares. He really cares if he wins or loses. It's not just about the, you know, I just love to play tennis and this is the greatest thing ever. Um, you kind of got to see a different side of him in that match. And, you know, I, I, I really love the match. I loved the message, I think that came out of it. 
And, you know, it would be interesting to see him in going into the 2024 season and see, has he grown from that? Because I think something Alcaraz does a lot, which he did in that second set, he tends to sort of like float away um, when he gets bored in matches or, you know, he, he almost doesn't know how to close them out. And it will be interesting to see if he learns from that match. But that was my match of the year, the Cincinnati final. Interesting. Um, um, next, I mean, I don't know. Well, I feel like I know who your player of the year was. <laughs> it helps when your favorites are really like, okay, come on. Like it helps when your favorites end up on top, right? <laughs> this is true. This is true. But for the audience, who is your player of the year? I thought we said we were going to do more than one. We can do more than one. Yes. I think we did discuss this. And yes, we did say we would do like two or three players okay. of the year. So, so, okay. How many do you want to do? Three? I'm doing three. Okay. Okay. Um, and they are going to be three women who won Grand Slams. Oh. Because that's the pick. Um, yeah. and, like there are other women who've had really strong seasons. I'm not necessarily going to name them right now. Um, legitimately, um, and, and and will remain contenders. But these three stood out for different reasons. Um, Arena Sabalenka, because she spent the, the year, every, the entire year was all about her uh, kind of charging back up the rankings. I mean, she hadn't fallen that far, but she was charging her way to world number one to challenge Igor Svantec. Um and she got it at the US Open and she got the number one ranking and, um, you know, two Grand Slam finals, um, winning one of them, uh, two, and then the other two were semifinals, achingly close to making it, reaching all four Slam finals in a year. Um, like the sla- arena, Sabalenka slams were, runs were incredible um, yeah. to watch and she improved so much. It, she was a talking point at every tournament she was at. Um, you And we have to reflect that in 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 the player of the year coco goff massive breakout season when she won washington when she got brad gilbert on as a coach and then she won cincinnati in the way she did um then she was like it was like wow like this is a very quick step up from someone we already knew was incredibly talented and then that us open win yeah like coco star went supernova at that point um, and I think I'm right in thinking she's now the highest paid female athlete in the world, or one of them anyway. She is. She is. And that's of all sports. Of all sports. And so for that reason, stepping up her game, winning a US Open and achieving that, being the big, the, the, the biggest sportswoman on the planet, you have to include her in the player of the year. And you have to say Igor Svantec, who... Um, defend kept, ended up becoming year round world number one, won the French Open and the WTA finals, beat just turned her year around right at the death and reestablished herself as the top dog. Um, it's going to setting up for a very interesting season because it's still going to be very competitive off clay. But like I mentioned earlier, this season became about she's being caught, how's she going to respond? Oh, she does have that ability to turn it back on and crush everyone still um so and obviously Roland Garros was 
you know, that run, she had a couple of really tough matches towards the end. That look of a final was another potential match of the year contender. The way she kind of almost lost it and turned it around, which actually summed up her year in many ways. So those three, Irina Sabalenka, Coco Goff, Iga Shviontek. Okay. Okay, so since you pick three, I'm going to pick three. I had one, but I will. I will. I mean, look, there's an obvious one. There's an obvious one. There is an obvious one, but I do have three people to talk about. And for me, they all involve a little bit of adversity and then kind of making your way, your, your way back and learning and growing. I like that in players, like showing not just, Oh, look at me. I win everything, but um, showing some growth and some improvement. And first up for me is Daniel Medvedev. Love him. I, you know, I think he started Australian open 2022, not great. And it was quite a disappointment for him. And he then went on and won every hardcore tournament leading up to um, leading up to Indian Wells. I remember him coming into Indian Wells and everyone was like, can he, is he not going to lose anything on hardcore forever? Um, that was how dominant he was at the time. And seeing a player who can sort of pick themselves up like that and, just keep going and improve instead of sort of falling back was really nice to see. And then he takes that sort of energy to the clay season and wins a clay tournament masters on his least favorite surface, as he says. So I think Daniil has been fighting a bit to still be in the conversation. You know, um, he came into the U.S. Open with that sort of energy where I think everyone was just saying, Carlos Novak, Carlos Novak. And he was like, hi, I'm still I'm still here. Um, so he's definitely if I if I was to rank my top three players of the year, he would be at number three. Number two would actually be Carlos Alcaraz. Number two would be Carlos Alcaraz, because I think. He came off the 2022 season a Grand Slam champion, and it was now his time to sort of prove he was the player people thought he was. You know, I think it would have been easy for him to win that Grand Slam and then just not have that great of a 2023 season, but he had an awesome 2023 season and won another Grand Slam. He is the only other player in the top 10 other than Novak who has more than one grand slam. Like that's kind of crazy. Like he's leapfrogged people like Zverev and Tsitsipas who have no grand slams and he has two, you know? So it's, he, he had a pretty great season, I think um, in 2023 and is just constantly improving on, on his, on his tennis and is looking at, hopefully a really great 2024 as well. And the last and really just the most improved is Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner is my number one player of the year for 2023 because I think he's shown potential for so long. And I think he has just been the epitome of slow and steady wins the race. You know, I think people were almost giving up on him in a sense where it's like, will he ever 
cross that sort of line into a, a Grand Slam final? Will he ever, you know, sh- live up to the potential that people had? And I think he just slowly kept chugging along all season and j- then just had one of the best end of year seasons that I've, that I've seen. I mean, I, you know, it, it's kind of weird because it's quite similar to, I think, how people were talking about Felix Auger-Lassime last year when when he kind of just won a whole bunch of titles at the end of the year. But there's something about Sinner that is just an extra level up where, you know, he's beating Novak twice in three matches in three weeks, I think. Was it three weeks? It was about three weeks. Um, it just showed... No, I think it was two weeks. I think it was three matches was in two ch- weeks. Wow. You know, it, it just showed a, a growth and a maturity um in him that I think I've been expecting for a long time and I didn't mind waiting and he took his time and he 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 sort of blossomed when he was supposed to so he is my player of 2023 I realize this is probably the second time I've asked you to expand on a point and feel free to do that with any of my choices and um I, I all kind of points but um I do have to ask because I think there's going to be some people who maybe follow, even casual fans following this, who the Mm -hmm. first question they're going to ask is, why not Novak Djokovic? Because he's won three slams. He was one set away from winning a fourth, won pretty much everything he entered apart from a couple of tournaments um, and was close to dominant if we're not for players like Alcaraz and Sinner, and to a certain extent, Runa. Um, Yeah. So, obviously, I based mine very much on results and who made the headlines. Um, But sort of, yeah, what's why are we not talking about Novak Djokovic? And I base mine more on my taste and what I like. And it's, yes, the numbers speak for themselves. Novak had a great year. Did I like watching him play tennis? Absolutely not. <laughs> I just don't. Never have, never will. <laughs> it just it is what it is. So I think when I'm considering my player of the year, I'm not I, I can't and this is actually a really good topic in in the sort of, you know, because people have this um goat debate and if anyone doesn't know what goat means the greatest of all time is the goat um and there is different schools of thought when you're considering who's the best at something and a lot of times people are just like well the numbers the numbers say what they say and then that's that's how you go with it but i think it it, it has to do with a lot more than numbers it has a lot to do too with your your taste as a person and and what you like and what style you like of play and um what you think of the person that actually is being considered and i consider all of those things when i think of who's the greatest of all time who's my favorite player who's the best player of the year and things like that i can't sort of divorce the character of the player or my thoughts on the player from their results you know so that's kind of how I, I look at things as well. Fair. I mean, you know, I, I completely get that. And look, let's face mm-hmm. it. I think for however long we're going to do this podcast, Iga and Layla 
are going to feature very heavily whenever I talk about tennis. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Eager was never like, the, the reason why I wanted to do a top three was to not be predictable. Um, <laughs> but the, um, and also, you know, I did want to give Sabalenka and Goff shout outs because they thoroughly deserve it. Um, even though Sabalenka isn't necessarily my style of tennis player that I like watching. Um, but I think she's a really fun personality. Um, actually, I'd say the same thing about Medvedev. Really struggle watching him play tennis, but love his off-court personality, so I'm going to root for him. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess what I wanted to say was, for those of you who may be getting into tennis and listening in, you are allowed to like Novak Djokovic. Um, he's not my favourite either, um, but there are days when I watch him and I go, this is flawless tennis. Like that, that final he played against Yannick Sinner at the ATP Finals. Um, that was yeah. almost flawless for about a set and a half. Exactly. Um, and and that's, uh, that's, a, and, and uh, I have to admire it. Mm-hmm. No, there's no way when you're just thinking of tennis strokes, like just the, the actual act of tennis, that final was, in, was just mind. You're just like, how is he, how is he playing tennis like that? Like it's so perfect in a way. Um, and it is fun to watch. I enjoyed that final. It, it is fun to watch. He just won't ever be my sort of player. I'm like, ah, that was a player of the year. Or, oh, I'm looking forward to watching a Novak match. You know, so it's everyone has their own tastes and everyone's allowed to have their own tastes. You can like whoever you want to like. If, if, your, if your player of the year was Andre Rublev or, you know, Arthur Feast or Leila Fernandez, that's that's your player of the year. And I want to encourage that. I, I Who knew I was going to go on a rant? But here we go. I love to encourage individuality in that way, where you don't have to jump on any bandwagon. You don't have to like Roger Federer. You don't have to like Rafa Nadal. You don't need to like, you know, you don't. You can like who you like because of, how they make you feel when they play a sport and, and, you know, are you impressed by them? Are you encouraged by them? Are you inspired by the way they play? You know, are you, do you love their off court personality? And that for you is just what makes them the best. And then that's it. You know, I think people are allowed to, for a lot of people, Elena Svitolina is their player of the year because of just what she's done outside of the court, let alone on the court. Um, so whoever your player of the year is, you know what? We're looking for reviews on this podcast. <laughs> if you like what we do, you know, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is and leave us a review. But what I would like in the comments of the review, who is your player of the year and why did you like them? And feel free to put whoever it is, Chris Eubanks for his run at Wimbledon. Is that why he's your player of the year? It would be awesome to hear. So yeah. drop us a line, find us on Twitter or wherever it is. Um, or Instagram where we have our stuff, but who's your player of the year? You know? Yeah. Love to hear it. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to reading through those with, uh, with Anastasia and, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. And there's like, you know, I've gone for that. We've gone for the headline grabbers. Svitolina is a good example of someone else who could grab the headlines, uh, because she actually made up the most ranking places in the year compared to anyone yep. else. Like she uh, climbed over 200 places. Um, and, you know, that's that's enough to say, OK, that's incredible, given she came back from maternity leave. You know, um, Sophia Kennan, after all she's been through, 
really rough, rough time kind of back in the mix. Um, yeah, you're right. There's there's names out there that, you know, just because the story they took you on, that will be, that can be the, that will definitely be um, a justification for what player of the year could be. And I think yeah. we are also going to be talking, continue to be talking stories into next year, right? Oh, definitely. What is 2024 going to bring or what do we hope it brings? What am I looking forward to the most? I have to say, I love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Everything about the Olympics, I love. The opening ceremony, the medal ceremony, everything. Love the Olympics. I am super excited for the 2024 Olympics, especially watching the tennis of the 2024 Olympics, because there can be so many stories. Can you imagine Carlos Alcaraz and Nadal playing doubles? I cannot. I really can't imagine it. And I can't even, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm so excited. If they play doubles at the Olympics, I might, you know, have to call off work and just dedicate the whole time that they're playing doubles to <laughs> to watching it. But I'm really excited for the Olympics in 2024. And I'm also excited by the return of Rafa Nadal. Is this his last season? Is it just the beginning of maybe a return to playing competitive tennis? I want to be there for it. I've missed him on tour and, you know, love Alcaraz, love Sinner. But next year, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to be a one woman man. And it's, you know, one man, one woman or whatever you say. But I know I'm like the reverse. I think I said the reverse. But, you know, whatever it is, I'm just going to be supporting Nadal. And, you know, if it's his last season, it'll be sad to see him go. But I want to enjoy it and enjoy watching him play tennis. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, that's kind of my main story. I know I, I'm the WTA guy here, but... ATP is it next year for me is like, yeah, what it's going to always be like Rafa is going to be in the main topic of conversation. Um, for me on the WTA side, um, it's the Olympics. Yeah. That's, it, it's the same thing. Like, you know, that it's a special kind of hype because it happens once a year, whilst the Olympic medal may not have the same prestige to as winning a slam to players or even definitely fans, and I do think that there is something very special about having that medal uh, because it's something that kind of comparable with other sports. Um, for me, the Olympics is going to be more about how Iga Sviantec does, um, unsurprisingly. Um, and that's because as a fan, I'm very of hers. I'm very aware of how much that title means to her. Um, she broke down crying when she lost in the second round in 2021. Her dad's an Olympic medalist. She wants to emulate him. Uh, different sport. I think it was rowing or sailing. It was a. It wasn't tennis. Um, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity for her um, to win it. Also, going to be keeping an eye on whether Novak Djokovic is going to be winning the Olympic gold because that's the one prize in tennis that he hasn't, he hasn't won, won yet, um, which is is crazy to think. Um, but that's that's immense to my side. And then in terms of like the general, uh, yeah, the general tour, I think I'm I'm kind of interested in seeing. Probably I'm probably more interested in looking at some of what individual stories are going to come out. I'm because that's the thing with tennis, like going into it is like who is going to be next. Um, and I think we're going to talk about a bit, a bit more uh, when we go into what players should fans keep an eye on going into 2024. 
Um, and I, I want to, I think for me, it's going to be about who are going to be the players I get excited about, what journeys are they going to take me on? Because I don't necessarily have to be a fan already for someone to take me on a journey. Like I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of Sabalenka's style of tennis, but her Australian Open title was actually a really great moment to watch because she finally broke through despite or was slipping back a little bit um, and struggling yeah. uh, struggling with her game a bit. So, um, yeah, for me, it's going to be about, oh, who pops up, who goes on a run that makes me go, oh, that's cool. And that's what I'm looking out for. It's a little bit of the unknown of 2024. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I love that. And you might be thinking, well, who should we be looking at in 2024? Like, what can, players... I, can I say something here? Yeah. Uh, before what? we kind of look at those two, okay. So I think, can we just say, those of you who follow us on this podcast, it is a given that you are going to end up following the stories of Iga Sviantek and Nadal and Alcaraz. Like, 100%. those are kind of a given. Um so I, I, I'm going to set down a challenge of, yeah, we, we want you to follow those players, um, guaranteed. So can we amend the, uh, the criteria, I guess, to not Sviantek and Alcaraz for either of us, just to try and make 100%. things a little bit more interesting? 100%. They're not even on my list of who to follow in 2024. Because like you, I like the story. I like the journey, like who's going to bring me on a ride. And I have some thoughts of who might do that, but who do you, like, who are your players, do you think, to follow? Okay, so um, it's very tempting to go for kind of the big names and sort of see what happens next. Like, can Coco Goff continue uh, what she's doing? Um, You know, uh, is Jessica Pagula going to break that ceiling? And you know, look at a, a top player and see, sort of see what's going to come next for them. Uh, or even like a retired player doing a comeback trail like Wozniacki, Kerber, um, coming back from uh, injury or maternity. Um, I would even say like, it's even tempting to say like a, a super young player like Andreva, but we've hyped her up a lot on this podcast. She's just a we one have. to watch <laughs> in general. Um, so I want to throw some different names out there. So I think the big one, is Naomi Osaka. She is also coming back from maternity. Um, and she hasn't, but she's been very on and off for a while. But when she's on, she is legitimately one of the best tennis players in the world and super exciting to watch. And I would recommend following her and seeing what she's going to achieve because whatever happens is going to be incredible. Um, in the expectation of doing something great, obviously she's got a big name following anyway, I would recommend sort of keeping an eye on her, especially the Australian Open when she's going to kick everything back off again. She seems motivated. Um, obviously, she's been very open about her own struggles. Yeah, that's the big one there. She seems motivated. So it's almost very different from how she was when she left the tour, when she went on maternity leave and sort of like took some, took some time, she wasn't playing consistently. She didn't seem very interested in playing tennis. So listening to the way she's talking now and how much longer she wants to play tennis, it's going to be really interesting, you know, watching Osaka in 2024 
it, it, it might be a shock to the tour. I have to say, so look for that. That's a good, that's a good pick. Okay. I, rather than me doing all three, how about I do one, you do one, and then bounce back and forth. So who's your first? So my first is someone who had a good year this year, was kind of on the, on the, on the, you know, people were talking about him. He might do it. He was picked to win the next gen finals and he didn't. But Arthur Feast, I think, is someone who in 2024, could really do some things like he had a really um, great run up the rankings this year. Um, he had some really great matches that he played. He's a very dynamic player. He just seems to have fun, you know, have a lot of fun on court, very much like a, like an Alcaraz or maybe even a Ben Shelton, like super young, has tons of fun on court. Um, it was really nice seeing his personality come out during the Labor Cup um, this year and he was picked by Rafa Nadal to come train with him for a week um, after the um, Next Gen Finals. So he's someone I'm I'm looking at in 2024 to, you know, win some bigger titles. He did win one title this year. I think it was a 250. So it would be interesting to see what he can do in 2024 and um, if he can sort of add to his little trophy cabinet um but either way i just think he's such he's such fun to watch that arthur feast will be my first pick feast is a lot of explosive potential he reminds me a lot of zonga and monfils other previous frenchmen mm, in that yes way. um which yeah it'll be interesting to see what he can he can come up with okay i guess my second is a player who i think is on the verge of a big breakthrough and could very much be hitting the big time um, and joining the elite top 10 uh, in 2024. I think Anastasia might know who this is. Um, well, I, I, I would encourage everyone to pause right now. Guess who you think Nick is talking about. Okay, go Nick. Who is it? It's a player that we talked a lot about during the Asian Swing. Um, it's a, the Chinese powerhouse, Zhang Qinwen. Um, who... Also karaoke star. Okay. Yes. Yes. And she, I think if you want to jump on board with someone becoming a star and you, and you want something that's kind of going to happen in the short, could happen in the short term, Zhang Qinwen's not a bad bet. Um, now, obviously, we talked about her making a big breakthrough after 2022 and it took a while to happen. So, you know, you might have to willing to go on a journey with this one. She may not she may have a bit of a dip early on and have to come back and show what she can do during the US season or something. Or she blitzes her way and wins the Australian Open. It, it could go one way or the other. The um, But I think that Zhang Qinwen, um, especially given her personality, is uh, is someone I think that um, deserves uh, deserves a lot of attention. And yeah, as I said, is if you want to be on board with the breakthrough, and get that sort of overwhelming feeling of yes, finally, John Chin Wen is 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 possibly the best bet out of it. That, although there, there's a few options out there, but I'm gonna go with John Chin Wen. Okay, that was a really good one. Um, she is definitely one to watch. I think she's. I mean, the top ten is in her grasp. You know, so she might have a big 2024. She also has a new coach now, Pereira, who did some good stuff with one Coco Golf. So <laughs> let's see how that relationship goes. Um, I think this might be, uh, this might be almost cheating, but at the same time, he's so young 
on the tour. Like when I say young, I mean, he literally has just had one season, but if you're not watching Ben Shelton in 2024, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) It's not cheating to play Ben Shelton. Like you have, like he's must watch tennis. You just, you have to watch Ben Shelton in 2024. He has had one season on the professional tour, which was this past season of 2023. He just flew up the rankings, mostly due to his um, really great run um, to the semifinals of the Australian Open. But he, and I think people thought, oh, that might've been a fluke and, you know, beginning of the season he also didn't really do great in Europe but it was his first time on tour but he came into the U.S. Open and then did it again you know sort of went through his his draw and and made it to the semifinals again I think he it's impossible not to watch Ben Shelton he's so much fun to just watch and he has so much energy and youth and his serve is insane and is weirdly, even though he's new on the scene, has all of a sudden become the bright, big American hope to win, uh, finally win a Grand Slam again. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm excited to see if he can live up to what he did this season. I think that will be exciting to watch because he made a lot of strides and sometimes it's easy to have sort of a dip of a season. Um but I'm hoping for the best. And I think he has such a great game that will take him into, into 2024 and the future. So I'm excited to see what he does in uh, 2024. Yeah. I think you have to, yeah, you can't take your eyes off Ben Shelton. Yeah. Uh, really, especially on a hard court, especially in the U S. Um, uh, I think he's, he's such a big name. Um, you can't really escape it, to be honest. My third one's a tough pick because there's a few young players who are probably on the verge of doing something big, um, who are ranked a bit further down. I guess that that would be a different co- conversation because they are players who might do something, um, but there's no guarantee because of injury or because of the way their game needs to develop. Even if they're very exciting watches, you know, I, I don't want to say follow them for 2024. They need to be stories you follow over several, over a couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, like I'm talking like, and a lot of the players I'm thinking about are currently teenagers. So I'm going to have to go with my third one being a more established name. Oh, we're doing the same thing, Nick. You can't wait till you hear who my third is, but keep going. <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, look, I'm going to say this now. You are allowed to say a name that you probably have already said earlier in the podcast because that's complete. Because, like, yeah, that's a story that you can't take your eye off. But with mine. It's going to be a surprise. You're going to be surprised, Nick. You're going to be surprised. Okay. But you keep going. You're not going to be surprised <laughs> with this. I'm cheating a little bit with this one because I have to go with Leila Fernandez. Um, 2021. I was hoping you would. Good. Yes, I was really hoping you would. Yeah, you have to, because regardless of how well or badly she does in 2024, whether she capitalizes on this amazing finish to the year that she's had with that Asian run and then leading Canada to the Fed Cup. No, sorry, wrong name. Village King Cup. What year is this, Nick? Um, <laughs> every Leila Fernandez match 
is a roller coaster, unless she's really off the boil, which happens sometimes. But and, and it happens to every player. But every Leila Fernandez match is a roller coaster, even if she doesn't quite match up and she's maybe at the lower seedings of a tournament. She stays there throughout the season. You, yeah, you can't take your eyes off the way that she plays tennis. And I guarantee to you, if you watch every Leila Fernandez match nine times out of ten, you're in for a roller coaster. You're in for some fun. You're in for um, some exciting shots and um, plenty of personality on display and maybe a little bit of karaoke as well. Um, she's maybe. not shy of it either, if you've seen her Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, 2024, Lola Fernandez, that's my third. So my third is a bit of a veteran. He's been there. He's done that. And my reasoning behind picking him is there's so much, I think, still left for him to do. But also, it might all be over in the blink of an eye. And that's Andy Murray. Andy Murray, I think, is... This was... I, I think this was a tough season for him. I think this past season was a tough season for him because... He was so close all the time. All that he, a lot of his matches went the distance. They went either three sets, they went the five sets, and he was just always on the cusp, always on the edge. And you could still see that he had the tennis in him, and there was just something he needed to get a little bit over the edge. And it was brutal sometimes to watch and to to see, but. It also was encouraging because you're like, well, then he's not done. He still has the tennis. He can still do this. So what? where does that leave us? Where does that leave Andy Murray? Next year is an Olympic year. He definitely will probably want to play um, in the Olympics. But you have the feeling that it also just might be his last. So maybe similar to Rafa as well, I will be watching – Andy Murray, and I hope you will join me too to sort of see where next season takes him. It might be sort of a resurgence where he sort of figures out what he needs to get over that line. And, you know, he keeps playing tennis for a few more years to come, or it might be sort of another farewell, farewell to, to professional tennis. So maybe, ending on a little bit of a bummer, but I'll be watching Andy Murray and, and hoping, hoping he can, he can figure it out. I mean, if I was allowed to pick an ATP player, it would be Murray. Um, I can't, yeah, I agree with your assessment of his season. It's been tough. Like there have been so many good points, especially at the start of the year where he was so close, but he didn't break through. It ended up being the story of the year of it didn't lead to anything. Yeah. Uh, and that was frustrating to watch as someone who's watched his journey. Um, I am currently, I am not ready for Murray's career to end until he does something one more heroic. And I am okay with it being a 250 title. Um, I, I'm not looking for a Wimbledon title. I'm not looking for a Grand Slam quarterfinal or anything like that. Um, it's, yeah. It's, um, he's got the tennis somewhere in him. I don't know how much longer for. I just want one more, like, tour trophy. Gets himself up the rankings. Get himself seeded again. Um, 
and he does it one more time and I and then when he yeah. does it one more time I'm happy then uh I'd be happy for him to stop and yeah. I think he'd probably feel something similar yeah so those those are the three players that um Nick and I hope you follow in 2024 um we've been going for a while now so we'll wrap it up what's happening on tour not much the off season so there's nothing really going on there is an exhibition i'm sure you've heard of it or if you haven't there is going to be an exhibition in riyadh that will involve a match between novak djokovic and carlos alcaraz and then a match between arena sabalenka and ons jabur and here's a little preview of what we're doing next week you might be asking oh well those are fun players how do i watch that at the moment i don't know (laughs) If I find out before, you know, while I'm editing this, before I post it, I will post in the description where you can watch this exhibition. But next week, Nick, we're going to be talking about how do you watch tennis? Where do you watch tennis? I'm going to need to do some research. Um, And I think something that you, you guys can do to help us out, actually, is tell us which countries you want us to tell you where to watch from. Because we're just going to assume based on where we are and who we might be expecting listeners to come from, we're going to be focusing on the UK and the US. Um, I have a nice little uh, Twitter thread um, that we can probably look at to pull resources where sort of I ask people, what country do you watch tennis on? What channel it is? You know, we've got a few responses on there that we could work from, but like we can also do some digging on websites. But yeah, please, if you can leave us any reviews or any comments, please let us know which country do you want us to tell you about? Because we can't tell you everywhere, unfortunately. It's just not going to happen. That would be a really, really long episode. <laughs> I do not have the time for that. So, um, but and no spoiler. And like, also figuring out where to watch tennis is a little bit more complicated than it sounds. But we'll go into that in two weeks. In two weeks. We'll also be previewing the United Cup, which will be st- would have started probably. Um, we will pre-record, so maybe it wouldn't have started, but at least we'll be able to give you a little bit of history on the United Cup. But until then, enjoy Nick's sweater again, please, because it is joyful and happy. This is an audio and podcast. You know that, right? <laughs> I am going to post a video or a photo somewhere because it's the best. And this was our holiday episode. So have a great holiday. We will see you in two weeks. And um, any final words, Nick? Uh, I think the shirt says it all. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>